Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Today we have Ari Satok on the podcast. He's an author and poet who's written a couple books, including one on the college and young adult experience. He's also just been cited in Business Insider as an author of a book that is great to get for recent grads. Joining me in the studio this week to listen to and discuss the interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Molly Bowser and Zeke Friedemann. The question I want to start off with today is what is a book that makes you feel nostalgic? Um, Little Women, for sure. It's definitely a classic, but it just reminds me of sitting under the covers with my iPod flashlight, trying to hide from my parents at 2 a.m., trying to finish the book. Yeah. Zeke? Yeah, for me, I think this would be The Chronicles of Narnia, which is another pretty classic one. But this was read to me as a kid by my dad. I went back and read it later as a child. And I think The Chronicles of Narnia, to me, was really written for the imaginative child. So just reading that book brings me back to um, those times of, of imagination and digging into that adventure. Yeah, I think for pretty similar reasons, I would say The Hobbit is one of mine. There's another one, uh, Gone Away Lake, that I read as a kid. And there's a series called, uh, I can't remember what order they're in, but On the Far Side of the Mountain and My Side of the Mountain. Both of those are, are about kids being very autonomous with their lives and going on adventures, and it's really enjoyable for that reason. And the reason I ask is because stories and poetry kind of awaken our imagination in ways that other things don't. And our guest today has written a book of poems that kind of capture your imagination as far as the college experience and the early days of adulthood on your own, uh, as far as that goes. And, and I, he has a lot of good stuff to share today, so I'm excited to, to introduce you to him. Ari Satak is an author, poet, and storyteller. Just five years out of college, he's already written two books. Today, Ari will be sharing about these books and the travels and experiences that served as inspiration for them. Our main focus will be his most recent book of poems entitled The Beautiful Chaos of Growing Up, which weaves together humor and insight about college and life after college. He's also the author of The Architects of Hope, 16 People Dreaming of a Better Tomorrow, a book that captures the stories of young people from all around the world, whom he interviewed during a year-long storytelling journey he led traveling to international schools on four different continents. Here is Ari. Ari, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I just found this out the other day, but your newest book, The Beautiful Chaos of Growing Up, was just highlighted by Business Insider in an article of recommended books for recent graduates. And you're the second book, literally just under a book by Michelle Obama. And then after your book comes books by people like Sheryl Sandberg, who is the COO of Facebook, names like Seth Godin, Tina Fey, Eleanor Roosevelt, and J.K. Rowling. Is that a surreal feeling? 
It really was. I feel really honored and grateful and was really, really excited when that list came out. So the the book's been out for, is it nine or 10 months, something like that? Yes. Does it feel strange to have success like this and publicity like this that long after the book's come out? I mean, I, I think I very much see putting a book out into the world as a journey. You put it out and you never know at what moments different people will start paying attention to it. So I was just really excited at this moment for it to get on that list. And your newest book, The Beautiful Chaos of Growing Up, is one that we're going to be focusing on today. And it kind of highlights the journey of a young person going through college and and the early years of adulthood. I'm hoping that you'll tell us a little bit about the book and what inspired you to write it. Absolutely. I started writing this book the summer of 2014. I graduated from university in 2014 and I was living in New York City the summer after I graduated. Frankly, I was feeling pretty overwhelmed that summer. It was my first summer as a full-fledged independent adult. And in that feeling of being overwhelmed, I think I really needed a way to make sense of what I was experiencing. And so writing poems became the way to start making sense of things. I would go to the New York Public Library right by Bryant Park for a lot of hours every day and just write about what I was experiencing and feeling. And the more that I wrote, the more it started to become apparent to me that what I was writing wasn't just going to be useful to me, but could also hopefully be really useful for others. Yeah. And so I started writing more and more, and gradually what evolved out of that writing was this book. So I guess a question that arises out of that, you kind of spoke to this already, but in this book, you, you have a lot of different things about college experience and the early days of adulthood. Are these all things that you've drawn from your experience, or how do you, how do you mix these stories together and kind of draw them out? So it certainly is inspired by my own experiences, but it's not an autobiographical book. Although so many of these poems are taken from things either that I experienced directly or that I've witnessed. And I think it's my job then as the writer to convey those things in ways that are relatable and compelling. But I think it certainly was inspired also at core by this thought I've had a lot, which is that college and young adulthood are these really beautiful and exciting and mind-expanding formative times but they can also be really challenging and daunting and scary and overwhelming. And so I wanted to write a book that captured that, that was real and that was honest and fun and funny and hopefully heartwarming too about that experience. And so that's what this became. And I write about everything in here from dating to college midterms, to picking a major, to job searching, to finding an apartment in a way that I really hope is relatable to readers um, in regards to the experiences they themselves are going through. Well, talking about poetry is not the same as reading it. And so we're going to infuse some of your, your poems throughout this interview. Would you start off by reading us something from, from your book, The Beautiful Chaos of Growing Up? Absolutely. So I could actually start with the opening poem, if that's okay. Okay. Um, and the opening poem is called Good Luck. Uh, and it's inspired and modeled after Rudyard Kipling's poem, If. It goes as follows. If you can hold to dreams and aspirations, but know that you have years to live them out. If you can deal with life's sharp fluctuations and grasp that some days you will meet with doubt. If you can ask advice of both your parents, but listen to your heart when it knows best. If you can learn to budget with forbearance, but with your money not become obsessed. If you can online date without frustration and not put too much weight on every text. If you can work with goals and motivation, but shed the need to always know what's next. If you can live within a small apartment and view it as your castle in the sky, if you can sort your life into compartments, but not let its full picture pass you by, if you can spot a million paths diverging, 
but on the choosing choose to not get stuck. Yours is the world of adulthood emerging. And so be on your way to it. Good luck. I love it. How did you get started writing and telling stories in the first place? I've always loved writing from when I was a little kid, elementary school, middle school, high school. And um, similarly, I've always loved storytelling and public speaking. But if I was really to trace back the origins of this particular post-college journey that's led to these two books, I'd trace it back to a class I took in my freshman year at university, which was an audio storytelling class that I took with a remarkable professor named Joe Richman. I'd actually signed up for a different class, an international news reporting class. And I looked at my schedule and I thought it said that the international news reporting class was at 1.30 p.m. on a Tuesday. And so I showed up to the classroom all excited for that class. And it turns out the international news reporting class wasn't happening on Tuesday. Mm. I'd misread my schedule and in fact, it was on Thursday. But what was happening on that Tuesday was an audio storytelling class. And I had nothing to do that afternoon. So I asked the professor if he'd mind if I sat in and joined the group. There are only about eight students in the class. And he said, not a problem. And I sat there and the first exercise we did, he had us turn to the person beside us in the room and then interview them as if they were a radio story and then present one thing to the class that we had learned that was interesting about the person. And as you can imagine, these were our classmates. So we sort of thought we knew a lot about them. But as soon as we started interviewing and talking to them, we started discovering just how much we didn't know and how many amazing stories they carried within them. And then the professor at the end of that class sent us out and said, your next assignment is to go into the community, into the local Princeton community and interview someone you've never met before. And so we went and did that. And that also was this remarkably compelling experience of discovering how many stories we're constantly surrounded by. And the professor said something that stuck with me to this day. He said that journalism is a passport to step into worlds you never otherwise could have. And so that really sparked my passion for storytelling that led to uh, my first book, The Architects of Hope, which I'll talk about a little more later, and that ultimately led me to get really into storytelling work in general. Yeah. Do you ever wonder about what would have happened if you hadn't gotten your schedule mixed up? Yeah, I sometimes do because it really was, you know, perhaps the most formative experience of my college experience. Yeah. And so I think a lot about the ways in which sometimes, you know, little moments like that end up steering us onto paths that make such positive differences in our lives. Well, this is an episode that's focused on helping college students in their experience. And I know that you teach a seniors writing workshop. And I'm wondering if you can share some advice that you could give to college students based off of your experiences with that class. Absolutely. Um, and so that class is with senior citizens. So with folks primarily in their 80s. Um, and I actually think there's a lot that I've taken away from leading that class um, that applies to young people, to seniors in college. So the, the first thing I think I've learned is this idea that I mentioned just before that we're surrounded by so much wisdom and insight and life experience. And I think we so rarely take advantage of that. And so the class has really taught me what it can do for you when you start asking the people around you questions because they have so much insight that can guide you. The class makes me think a lot too about the importance of community. We've built a community there. And when I was a senior in college, I felt very, very lucky to be surrounded by communities on campus that really supported me and that inspired me and encouraged me. And this class that I teach reminds me that it, that never stops the importance of being part of communities that nurture you. Uh, and then there's another piece, which is the class makes me think about how important it is to listen and simultaneously to be listened to. 
that we really need that, that that's something remarkably critical for all of us. In The Beautiful Chaos of Growing Up, you have a section called Adventures of an Undergrad. And in that, you have a poem called The Methodical Chaos of Sunday Nights. And I'm hoping that you'll share that with us. I think it's something that a lot of students will be able to relate to. Absolutely. And so just to preface a tiny bit, I I hope this resonates with the idea in college and also post-college life. Sometimes we really have a million things on our plate at once. And this poem jumps off that idea, goes as follows. I have to read two Shakespeare plays and an essay by Montaigne and write a six-page paper on the rule of Charlemagne, memorize ten vocab words and skim through war and peace, write a short reflection on the late work of Matisse, finish 30 lines of code in a three-page problem set, craft a presentation on the conflict in Tibet. What's that, you ask, dear mother? When are these assignments due? Um, how do I best explain this? This may not make sense to you, but they all are due tomorrow. It's a lot, but it's okay. I've had more before, I promise. All this work will melt away. What's that, you ask, dear mother? Is this work all close to done? Um, I'm not sure how to say this, but I still have not begun. What's that, you asked your mother? Yes, tomorrow's what I said. What's that, you asked your mother? No, I may not go to bed. What's that, you asked your mother? Yes, I know that isn't smart. What's that, you asked your mother? Yes, I said I did not start. So it's time to start in hurry, for my time is wearing thin. Distractions, please stay hidden. My all-nighter must begin. That's too real right there. <laughs> so you have another book, The Architects of Hope. You've, you've brought it up earlier. How did this book come into being? So my senior year of undergrad, everybody at my university had to write a thesis. I was studying sociology and I had to choose what to write about and ultimately chose to write about a network of international boarding schools. These really remarkable institutions that bring together students from all different countries and cultures to learn and study together give or take 70 to 100 countries are represented in each of those school communities with students from all socioeconomic backgrounds. And so my senior year, I was researching what these schools were like. And as part of the research, was fortunate to have a grant to go visit four of those schools in British Columbia, in Wales, in Bosnia and Herzegovina and in Italy. And as I was traveling there for research, what excited me even more was that I would meet these young people with incredible stories to tell. And so this kind of light bulb went off in my mind, in which I said, how cool would it be to come back to these same schools next year, not as a researcher this time, but as a storyteller to document the stories of these young people. And so I put a proposal together and was very, very fortunate to find partners in these schools to make this project happen. And similarly to find a funder who funded the project. And so I went off on this journey and I spent a year traveling to seven different schools really all over the world, everywhere from Swaziland to Hong Kong to Germany to New Mexico. And over the course of that year, I interviewed about 150 students. Wow. And the, the aim initially was to produce audio pieces, which I started off doing. But in the middle, it evolved. I started writing poems to try to capture the students' stories through poetry. And when I'd share those back with the students, they got so excited about those poems that it inspired me to turn it into a book. And so the book that's titled The Architects of Hope captures 16 of the student stories and the theme that threads through those 16 stories, they're all related to the theme of hope. I guess one of the things that you picked up on that trip is that plans change. You know, you, you started off with one medium and changed from audio to writing. But what, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned over the course of that travel? 
Yeah. So, I mean, as you just mentioned, I definitely learned about adaptability, which is an important lesson in any project that you do. I also learned a lot about persistence, that good projects take a lot of time, right? There's a quote out there that, you know, projects really worth doing. Nothing good is ever that easy. And I learned that over and over again about the importance of persistence because I stuck with this project. I mean, it took almost two years start to finish from when I began the journey to when I had the book out and then even more time after as I started doing talks and sharing it with the world. So I learned about persistence. I learned about dedication, that when you have an idea that you're really, really passionate about, you got to stay dedicated to it. And then I also learned I mean, through those conversations, it was such a blessing to get to meet young people from so many walks of life. I really learned over and over again about the uniqueness of everybody's story. And one of the guiding, motivating ideas of the whole project was that I believe very strongly that stories can break down prejudices, that when we hear the actual real life stories of people from all different walks of life, we can start to humanize them and understand them. And I got to learn that over and over again through that year of traveling and interviewing. So that was enormous. And then the, the last thing that jumps to mind right now, although there were so many other lessons, is I learned about my own capacity to make a project happen, to see it through from start to finish. And I think that insight is really important because it sticks with me whenever I have other project ideas. I think that journey has given me the confidence to say it may be hard, it may take a lot of you know, effort and there may be twists and turns along the road, but I am capable of making that project happen. Could you share another one of your poems with us? Absolutely. I'm going to share a poem called Piggy Bank Nostalgia that's in the section of the book that captures, you know, moments from post-college life. And as I said, it's trying to capture simultaneously that section of the book, the beauty of young adulthood, but also sometimes the headaches and the challenges. And I think this jumps in on that theme. So Piggy Bank Nostalgia. Once upon a time, I had a piggy bank. And that was where my savings always went. They did not go to bonds, nor stocks, nor futures, nor student loans, nor ETFs, nor rent. They did not go to GICs, nor RSPs, nor hidden fees, nor into offshore LLCs, nor into funds, nor funds of funds, nor funds of funds of funds of funds, nor CDOs, nor fancy clothes, nor cars, nor bars, nor IPOs, nor health insurance, car insurance, debt insurance, pet insurance, doctor's visits, drug prescriptions, online magazine subscriptions, movie passes, yoga classes, Wi-Fi, cable, brand new glasses, all the ever-climbing costs of life. Once upon a time, I had a piggy bank, and that was where my savings always went. Once upon a time, I had a piggy bank. With that and nothing more, I was content. So there are people listening to this interview right now who are beginning to pursue their goals and dreams as they start college and maybe are beginning to think about life after college. Do you have any insight from your own life that you could give to people who want to achieve big things with their lives? Absolutely. I think the, the three ideas that I would share related to that. The first one is I think it's important, and I always try to remind myself this on my own journey, it's important to be patient, that success in the ways we dream of it sometimes takes a long time. Um, and the projects, as I've mentioned, take a long time. And so be patient with yourself. The second that I mentioned before is to be persistent. So many moments along my journey have been about persistence, have been about following up and continuing to push and push, uh, even when sometimes it seems like a door may not be opening quickly. And so that that's a lesson that I really want people 
who are you know going to endeavor to pursue big goals and dreams to to take with them to be persistent um another lesson is to not be afraid of rejection or judgment and that's when i think we're all constantly learning um, and so the flip side of that is to be bold to be courageous and the final the final thing is to believe in your dreams you more than anyone else needs to believe in your dreams if you do even if others are doubting you even if others think that your aspirations are too big or what you dream of is going to be impossible if you believe in those dreams and stay the course i feel strongly that those dreams could come to fruition so you have another section in the beautiful chaos of growing up called in search of love and you have a poem that is fairly short but also somewhat humorous it's called swipe right would you read that for us absolutely grandpa how did you and grandma meet did you meet her at a school dance and then sweep her off her feet did you lend her an umbrella in a rainstorm on the street did you send a box of chocolates and then ask her on a date did you see her on the streetcar knowing marriage was your fate did you spot her walking on the beach beneath the moon's bright light or did you see her on your phone and know you should swipe right? Would you share with us any final advice that you have for us and then maybe tell us about any projects that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, so in terms of final advice, I, I guess I'd leave the listeners with a few things. The first is to get involved with things that you love, whether you're in college now, whether you've just graduated, whether you're a few years out. I think that's so important to do things that you really love that get you really passionate. Related to that, whatever you do professionally, do it with an open heart, do it with kindness and compassion. That's not always easy, but I think we always have to be doing our best to be doing our work with kindness and compassion. Be relentlessly curious. That was one of the biggest lessons I think I learned from my own college experience. And then I mentioned too, don't be afraid to chase dreams that others might tell you are impossible. And so those are a few sort of last pieces of advice to the second question. In regards to new projects, I'm working on a whole bunch of new poems. And from those poems, I've also started crystallizing some ideas for new poetry, book length projects. Although I'll probably share more about that as they get a little further along because they're still in early phases but I have a second non-writing project I'm really excited about that I just launched, and it's called The $100 Project. And the idea of that is I partner with young educators, 30 and under, and I prompt them with the question, if you had $100 to do something that would benefit your students, what would you do? And these are educators all around the world working in their home countries, and so they go and design amazing projects with that specific constraint. And the stuff they've come up with so far have been really inspirational and a lot of them are working in places where $100 can really stretch quite far. And then I go out and fundraise those grants. And so I'm really excited to keep building this up and hopefully to keep helping more and more educators turn project dreams and ideas into reality. Has the project been around long enough for you to have any success stories yet? Or is it still early enough that things are just beginning to happen now? It's in the stage where it's just beginning, where we have the first five grantees who came up with their projects and now are about to put those into action. It's just at its beginning phase, but I think it's in an immensely exciting moment in that sense. Absolutely, it sounds like an amazing project. Now, before you go, I have a few final questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready for this? I am. All right. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? I have two. Uh, first is by Maya Angelou, who I think has so many brilliant quotes. 
but the one I love in particular related to leadership goes as follows. Nothing will work unless you do. I think there's a really powerful truth there. And then there's a second uh, saying I absolutely love from Norton Juster, who wrote The Phantom Tollbooth. And he says, and I quote, so many things are possible just as long as you don't know they're impossible. Hmm. I, I love that idea. Yeah. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is... I'll take the liberty to make one small alteration, which is to answer the question to the phrase, a good leader is, Hmm. and my three would be, a good leader is someone who brings out the best in others, a good leader is a good listener, and a good leader is courageous. I like it. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I think leaders should be asking themselves, what are the ways that I'm holding myself back from my full potential? And similarly, they should be asking others, what are the ways in which you're holding yourself back from your full potential? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? I just read a book within the last month that I'm recommending to anyone I get the chance to recommend it to. It's got a long title, Shakespeare and Company Paris, A History of the Rag and Bone Shop of the Heart. It tells the story of an amazing bookstore in Paris called Shakespeare and Company, and specifically tells the story of the bookstore's founder and owner, who is a really amazing man named George Whitman. Over the years, more than 30,000 artists and writers have actually been given the opportunity to sleep in the bookstore. Um, And the reason I'd want people to read it is because I think George is a remarkably inspiring human. He's a leader. He envisioned the bookshop and built it into an institution that's sustained for over 60 years. But more than that, I think his life teaches so many lessons about hospitality, kindness, chasing dreams, connecting people, and living a unique life. And so I think any leader could benefit from his example and be really inspired by his approach to the world. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week that would help them to be a better leader, what would it be? I'd encourage them to go out and do something that scares them or that makes them uncomfortable because I think leadership often can be a little bit scary, uh, but I think courage is a muscle that the more you exercise it, the more courageous you become. Um, And I'd also encourage them to practice listening, deeply listening to the people in their lives. And finally, we have an arbitrary but insightful question. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I'm a big believer that why not is actually an immensely helpful question for entrepreneurs. I think so much of the best entrepreneurship takes place when you have an idea that might seem a little crazy or impossible. But instead of saying why, why do it? You say why not? Why not try it? Why not give it a go? So I think why not is an incredibly helpful question to ask. And often it's only when you ask it that you realize that there really isn't a compelling reason not to try to make the dream you're pursuing into a reality. Ari, before you go, would you read the final poem of your book for us? Absolutely. So the poem is called On the Waves of Adult Waters. There will still be days when life feels overwhelming, when its challenges are heavy ones to bear when its tests and trials loom like fearsome monsters, when its outcomes and its endings seem unfair. There will still be days when life's paths look unfriendly, when its ladders to success stand extra steep, when new canyons block the roads you've always traveled, and to cross them you must find the nerve to leap. On these days you'll sometimes wish to flee for childhood, for it's calmer and it's safer on that shore than it is out on the waves of adult waters with their swells and tides no person can ignore. But embrace the stormy waters you now travel, for in calmness very few adventures start, 
Steer with courage and an adult's hard-earned wisdom, though remember to maintain a child's heart. And when one day you have made it through the tempest, when the currents slow, the waves recede and fade, you will smile that you looked out on those waters and then chose to journey onward unafraid. All right. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today and for sharing your work and your insight with us. Where can people go to learn more about you and your books and what you're doing? First of all, thanks to you for having me. I'm really appreciative. In terms of the books, if uh, if you go on Amazon and look up either of those two titles, The Beautiful Chaos of Growing Up um, and The Architects of Hope, you can find out a lot more about those books. I have a website, resatalk.com, where you can learn more about some of the other work that I do. And you can go to the $100project.org to learn about that project that I mentioned. And then the final place to learn more about my work and also engage with more of my poetry. I share a lot of poetry on social media, on Facebook, just under my name, Ari Satok, and on Instagram, Ari underscore Satok. So I'd highly encourage you to follow along. Ari, it's been a pleasure. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share some of your own thoughts on what you heard today, or if you want to leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's interview could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.